Greetings, spellcasters. I am Patrick Smith. Welcome back to Disenthrall. Today we have, uh, we're going to cover the situation of Tim Poole, his media company that he calls Subverse, and the recent legal trouble that is getting started right now. This is, this is happening in the last couple days with him and a video game developer uh, named Studio FOW, who is crowdfunding a video game of the same name, Subverse. So we have uh, a trademark conflict. We have uh, we have a situation that that we're going to dive into with an expert, and that expert, ladies and gentlemen, who I am proud to have on the show with me today, is Stefan Kinsella. Stefan Kinsella is an intellectual property attorney and libertarian writer in Houston, Texas. He is founder and executive editor of Libertarian Papers, founder and director of the Center for the Study of Innovative Freedom, a member of the editorial board of Reason Papers, a member of the editorial advisory board of the Molinari Review, and a member of the advisory board of the Creative Common Law Project. He has published numerous articles and books on IP law, international law, and the application of libertarian principles to legal topics, including the influential monograph against intellectual property. Welcome to the show, Stefan Kinsella. It is an honor to have you here. Thank you. And you got the word monograph. And so I know what an amazing word. (laughs) Okay. So I just basically want to brief the situation between Tim Pool and this other uh, uh, company uh, so that the audience knows what's going on. And then I want to basically uh, have you give us a brain dump on this whole situation. So basically the, the situation is this. We, there's a guy named Tim Pool who I follow, uh, it's important. I, I think it's important that we have, that we follow, uh, news sources that are disparate, you know, from the left, from the right, from the center, from the anti-political, from all areas. It's always difficult for me, at least to find a good source to follow from the left, because so much of the left media has become so extreme that it's hard to find a reasonable person to follow. I think Tim from the left center left, he would call himself is one of the more reasonable people to follow. Uh, in that area recently, uh, no, actually, sorry, about five years ago, he started a news media and entertainment company, uh, called subverse S U B V E R S E here. I have a picture for you here. This is Tim. And this is his subverse logo right here. There we go. So this, uh, he started this up about five years ago and he intends it to be sort of a Buzzfeed Vox vice competitor. Um, he used to work for vice. He was one of the first people that helped vice get started into live streaming and, uh, kind of news reporting before that vice was more entertainment and documentary and, and stuff like that. So, uh, and I know that today vice is a very biased sort of SJW platform, um, Tim disagrees with where vice has gone since then, but anyway, I digress. So he's trying to create a new brand, uh, to be, um, uh, like Buzzfeed Vox and vice, but without the bias lies, fake news smears and constant, you know, injecting politics into literally everything. The other person involved in the situation or people group entity is Studio FOW. They are a UK-based, adult-oriented, animated video game developer. So they basically make porn video games. Uh, They just started crowdfunding a new game that they want to develop named Subverse. And I have a picture of that as well. And I'm kicking myself now for not not having used that as the thumbnail. 
that would have been smart. <clears throat> but uh, that's their new video game called Subverse, the same name as Tim's new or five-year-old uh, media company. So after only two weeks, their Kickstarter has raised $900,000 from over 21,000 backers. It turns out porn is popular on the internet. <laughs> uh, so the problem is, the problem comes in now to uh, that Tim, th that over the past two weeks, the crowdfunding campaign for this new Subverse video game has kind of blown up. It's, it's taking over Google. So when people search for the term Subverse, uh, Tim says, and I verified this, that uh, th this game with this imagery dominates the search results when you search the term subverse. Uh, that is interfering with Tim's use of his brand, he says. He says that when he reaches out to people to try and get interviews for his news content, that when they Google him, they're finding things totally unrelated to his business and even thinking that uh, that he is part of this crowdfunding campaign, Tim Pool is part of this crowdfunding campaign for this porn video game. So he's saying that this is interfering or diluting his brand. Um, they they don't he doesn't want to be misassociated. Basically, he filed for a trademark on the eighth of this month. So I I, I don't know how that we can ask uh, Stephen is it St Stephen or Stefan? It's Stefan, right? Stefan. Stephen, like Stephanie. Oh, totally wrong. Okay. So let me get rid of the boobs here for a second. I don't think we should leave those up for the entire show. <laughs> there we go. You left, okay. you left one boob up. <laughs> All right. So uh, he filed for a trademark uh, of Subverse on the 8th. I'm not sure that that matters. And maybe you can clarify for us. No actual lawsuits have been filed yet. Basically, they've lawyered up. Um, one side of the Internet is siding with Tim because he had the name first, you know, five years ago, he started working under this and Tim's brother also started working on a video game uh, in this space with this uh, under the same company name. The other side of the Internet is siding with the anime titties and literally expects Tim to walk away from his company and his name and rebrand everything, you know, rebrand his company that he's been working on for years. I say they're both wrong. Words are not a valid form of property. And what I'm really here to learn is what you have to say on the issue, Mr. Kinsella. I, I agree with that. Um, this story has so many aspects to it that um, um, are so confused on so many sides. And it, it, will t it really will take a while to explain it all, to untangle it. And it depends upon what people want to understand, right? I mean, it's a good illustration of different things. You could use this case to illustrate uh, the problem with patent or i'm sorry intellectual property law in general or trademark law in particular trademark law being one of the of the few types of intellectual property law uh, which i think should be abolished of course i think all intellectual property should be abolished and then if it were abolished if there were no trademark law or patent or copyright law this whole problem would be a different problem that we'd be looking at now um and some of the assumptions tim is using and then just the strategy of going public with this and basically just whining I don't really see the point of what he's doing. Um, if it was a libertarian, I could see a libertarian having uh, moral dilemmas about being part of the IP system and then wanting advice on how to handle this in the most moral or libertarian way. But that doesn't seem to be what this Tim Pool is. So Tim Pool is basically ex an example of what I've seen many times in my career. A lot of people that are young, 
kind of uh, uh, amateur about law. They don't have a lot of money. They don't take care of their legal business earlier on, and they do things half-ass and catch up at the last minute, and then they have to go to lawyers and get it fixed. And it seems to me he's not even doing that quite right. Um, but if you do that, I don't see the point of going online and just whining about it. I don't know what he wants. If he was asking for help, like, please donate money to me so I can hire a better lawyer, I could understand that. If he was saying, please give me pro bono legal advice, that would make sense to me. Um, but if he was saying, please, libertarian internet, forgive me for selling myself by apparently getting involved in the trademark system, okay, but it doesn't seem like he's doing that. So I don't know what he's even doing. I mean, I know what I would advise him as a client or as a friend or as someone who needs advice on ethical issues about libertarian matters, but they're all different. They're all he's totally not- different. You have, yeah. I don't believe he identifies as a libertarian, just to clarify that. He calls himself center left um, politically. So I, 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 he definitely, yeah, what, he definitely wants saying. the government to regulate things. He definitely wants the government to, uh, you know, force right. things like net neutrality. And he wants an Internet Bill right. of Rights and things like that. Yeah. Right. And so given that, my assumption is he's not opposed to trademark law in general. He's just no. com- And to be honest, when anyone complains about the effect of a law on them, where they support the the existence of that law, I mean, my sympathy meter goes way down. You know, I, I don't mind about uh, rich rich liberals being taxed as much as people that oppose the tax system, for example. So, uh, you know, my thinking is this is what you get when you have a system like the one that you support because you haven't thought about it very much. Uh, it, it apparently, from what I've heard him speak about, it hasn't even occurred to him that there's a problem with the underlying basis of trademark law. He's taking a lot of it for granted, a lot of the common arguments, which are dishonest arguments, I believe, but he's taking them for granted in some of his offhand comments. Like he seems to buy into this sort of labor theory of property justification for trademark law, which is somewhat related to the labor theory of value of communism and Marxism and socialism. Whereas the standard justification for trademark law by most people, even by libertarians, is rooted in fraud, mm-hmm. um, not in labor theory of property. And I can explain what that means, but so he's, he's confused and he's mixing it like most people do. IP law is very arcane, very uh, detailed and intricate, very nuanced, very um, irrational in many ways. Um, only a few people that are specialists understand it. But let me give an example. First of all, he filed a U.S. trademark uh, registration for his name, uh, Subverse, uh, like you said, I think, uh, last week. Uh, I did a quick search. I didn't see the word Subverse anywhere in the whole United States database except for two older claims, which are now expired. And one was for snowboards or something like that. So I guess he's right that this is a basically a coined term, but it was a revival of an old obsolete term. That doesn't really matter for trademark law. Uh, the term is obviously uh, distinct enough and not generic and descriptive that it could be used as a trademark for some goods or services in America or in other countries. Um, you know, he complains about the money, but among all the pa- all the IP rights, copyrights are automatic and therefore they're free. Patent costs a lot to get a patent. Trademark doesn't cost that, cost that much money, which he obviously just afforded it. And I mean, we're talking a thousand dollars here here or so to file a trademark. 
why didn't he file a trademark on his his little logo, that little design that you showed? Uh, why didn't he do this four years ago if he had some kind of commercial designs? That would have been the smart thing to do, and it doesn't cost that much money. Yeah, that logo there. So you could he could file a trademark on that. Um, I suspect that this other company, I don't know if they filed anything in Europe. Um, Temple seems to be confused about the interrelation between European uh, and international trademark rights and American, which is understandable. It's difficult to understand. His trademark lawyer should be able to advise him on this. It's not that hard to understand. Uh, there are international agreements. There's a Madrid protocol, a Madrid agreement where you could harmonize and, and internationalize these things. Um, so as far as I can tell, his filing in the U.S. is helpful to him. So I don't know what he's whining about. I mean, if if he wants to enforce that filing that he already did, he probably has a good shot of doing so. He just seems to be saying he doesn't want to. He wants to be – I did like his honesty where he seemed to admit that, look, he called them, and then they right away lawyered up. I don't blame them. That's what I would do too. If you get a potential infringement threat from, from a trademark troll or a patent troll or a copyright troll or someone who looks like that, you say talk to our lawyers. So – I don't know why he's criticizing from that. He even seems to admit that he might have seemed a little too litigious sounding in what, the way he approached them. Um, so I go back in my mind as a libertarian. I can explain why if you want, but why trademark law is completely illegitimate and should not exist. And then we could talk about what would happen in a world absent trademark rights, like how would these two parties negotiate or what would happen if two companies started using the same name in a world without trademark rights? So there's a lot of ways we could take this discussion, and I'll, I'll, I'll let yeah, you. Yeah, I, I want to kind it. of target this video to the general public that 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 believes this um, messy labor theory of value uh, conception of IP. So a lot a lot of people when they come to libertarianism or voluntarism. Their holdups are the the police and military and roads and you know they're they're hesitant to embrace the ideas because they're scared about not having those things in a free society. My my hang up on the road to libertarianism was intellectual property as a as a programmer as a photographer as a, a video you know a videographer. A lot of my work is wrapped up in intellectual property, and uh, and so have meeting these people that that didn't respect that as a valid form of property was was a big hang up for me and it was listening to your content and reading your content vast quantities of it over a long period of time that got me to the point where i was understanding the libertarian argument for intellectual property if you could maybe give that to us as it pertains to trademark maybe uh, i will provide links in the descriptions to all of the content from you that that uh, helped me understand it. But if you could give it to us in a, in a short encapsulated. Sure. Yeah. Let me try a little nutshell version. Yeah. The basic idea is that um, our sort of natural property rights are rights to control scarce things in the world, things that we can fight over as human beings. And the whole purpose of property rights is to set up a set of rules um, that says who owns what, like who owns this pen, who owns this house, who owns this body. And property rights do that. So they say, I own myself because I am myself. You own yourself because you are yourself. And then for things that are in the world that were unowned, like a tree or a piece of land, the first person who, who starts using it is the owner or someone that he sells it to or 
transfers it to by contract. So it basically is a simple set of rules, and you can use those rules to determine who owns a resource whenever there's a dispute. So when two people have a dispute over a resource, you resort to those rules and you figure it out. And that's basically the common law, the Western private law of property. Uh, you own what you find, you own what you buy, you own your body. Okay, very simple. Um, the problem was that that when you have economic understanding start and economic analysis and people start wondering how we generate wealth and how we create wealth in the world and why people get richer and what makes us get poorer or richer, then you have a mixing of, of economics and this sort of property idea. And over time, in a, in a world, in an earlier world, when everything was basically physical and tangible, intellectual, intellectual produ productivity wasn't the same thing that we have now with the, with the internet and the ability to sell your services and your, and your ideas and profit off your ideas and things like that. And you could even publish widely. And, and the field of inventions was not as, heavy, as much important. Uh, so basically, at, in earlier times, we equated the physical labor and effort that we expended to transform these physical things and make them wealthier, more valuable. You know, you turn iron into a horseshoe or you turn marble into a statue, you turn a field into a farm, and it results in things that are valuable. So over time, we start equating labor with wealth and with property. The more you put into something, the more you're going to make it in a free in a free society and that's true as far as it goes economically speaking but it tends to make us confused about the source of rights the source of rights is what i mentioned earlier it's very simple it's just who has the better claim to a resource if you got it first or if you got it by contract then you have a better claim to it but the the issue of transforming these things using your labor and your intellect is just a way of making them more useful to you or adding wealth to yourself or, or being finding a way to sell them for more money. So that's an economic or a wealth issue, but people confuse those things. So they start thinking that we, the reason that I have a property right in this thing that I homesteaded from the state of nature is because I own myself and therefore I own my labor Right, which is already sort of a, a an ambiguous a metaphorical – what does it mean to own your labor? It's like saying you own your action or you own your love. And if you own your labor, then you own things that you mix it with. If those things were unowned, that was Locke's idea of the labor mixing of property. So you start to think of labor as a substance or a thing that emanates from a person who owns his body, and you own these little things that you – you know. Um, inject into the world and you sort of like when you when, when you when you put a seasoning into a steak with a little with a little um, a needle uh, so so it's that it's this idea of, of a substance idea of labor that labor is a thing that comes from you and you own it it's the fruit of your labor and then and, the, and then they mix this together with this argument that there's something right or proper or good in a world where if you work harder you tend to do better that's all true, but that doesn't mean that you own your work or the fruits of your labor because if you start a restaurant or you start a business that just doesn't sell, it doesn't matter how much work you put into it. You know, um, you're not entitled to a profit. You know, uh, you might get lucky, you might get unlucky, but the point is you're not entitled to your customers. You're not entitled to this business. Now, in the field of intellectual property, this has resulted in a set of law, this misunderstanding 
of the basis of rights, this mixing together of the Lockean idea that you own things that you physically control because you got them first or you got them by contract, mixing that together with all these economic understandings that if we manipulate them, we create value in the world and we make ourselves wealthier, starts to make us use the word property to refer to anything that we do, that we spend our effort on, that we work hard on, that we have a right to. Okay, so this results over time in laws like patent law, which is the right to an invention. It's a monopoly. You're the only one who can use that technique or copyright. You're the only one who can sell or make a copy of a pattern of information that was original, like a novel or a movie uh, and trademark. Now, and by the way, I think patent is the most harmful of all these. Patent law has done untold destructive damage to the human race because it slows down uh, technical innovation. Um, and the argument given for it now is that it it um, it enhances innovation, which is uh, excuse me, totally false. Um, and and, and again, I would I would plug your book uh, against intellectual property. Excuse me, not your book, your monograph. I would plug your monograph against intellectual property. You you really detail exactly why it is the most harmful version or a form of intellectual property. So definitely go read yeah, that book. And copyright is a, is, is, is a close number two. Copyright is worse in some ways because it lasts a lot longer. I mean, a patent lasts about 17 years. So it's a 17 year delay on human innovation, which, which lowers the prosperity of the human race and basically causes death and misery that we wouldn't have suffered otherwise. But copyright impedes and heavily distorts the flow of knowledge cultural knowledge, philosophical knowledge, artistic knowledge um, for over a hundred years. So copyright laws is, is and copyright law is used um, as an excuse for governments to reduce and to restrict freedom freedom of use of the freedom of freedom of the internet internet because the internet is a huge copying machine. That's really what it is, right? So it's a huge threat to copying to copyright law. So the internet is a threat to copyright law because it's a big copying machine. Digital technology and encryption and the internet is like the worst thing that the, the original copyright interests, like the publishing industry, et cetera, they, that they could have ever seen. Um, and so they're using that as an excuse to clamp down on internet freedoms. They, they shut uh, ICE shuts ICE. You know, everyone thinks of ICE as uh, the, the guys that are stopping the Mexican immigrants or the Honduran immigrants at the border, but. ICE is Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, and they are used also to stop the import of goods that some administrative judge has decreed violates a patent of an American uh, producer, even though they couldn't prove that in the district court. So it's, a, it's like an alternative court. Or for uh, they, ICE goes around and shuts down websites. People don't see this because their sites are shut down, but if you know the right Earl to go to, you can type in the domain name. You'll see a big, sinister-looking stamp mm -hmm. with, uh, like, this logo on there from ICE saying this site has been shut down. They do it for child pornography. They also do it for uh, sites that have the wrong links to the wrong so-called pirated content. So there yeah, are thousands of these sites that are Lewis Rossman does uh, has a hardware repair YouTube channel, and he tries to import replacement batteries for Apple products like Apple iPhones and tablets. He yeah. tries to import refurbished third-party refurbished batteries they they are apple products but they were refurbished by someone not apple apple used yes. the agency that you're talking about 
customs yes. to stop yes. those batteries from entering the country. Uh, he yes. used intellectual a, property. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, I like actually. I watch his channel. I love it. He's actually great. Uh, Me too. That's yeah. one of my favorite channels. Uh, and uh, but yeah, so they use the FTC and they use ICE to shut down websites and to stop imports of goods in the name. And look, even some libertarians have gotten off track by this, and this just shows you that, that there's an organic, holistic consistency to our principles. That's one reason. I became a libertarian and we become libertarians as we have this obsession with consistency. And we yeah. try to root them out. You start seeing that this doesn't match with that. Which one do I really believe in? Right. And so you have if you have if you're a libertarian who believes in patent rights um, and some of the Cato people, for example, have in the past, probably because uh, some of their donors of Cato are like Eli Lilly and some of the pharmaceutical companies. And guess what they have an interest in, you know, the patent system. Um, so you had some Cato scholars, this is 15 years ago or so, they were opposing the Drug Reimportation Act, which was going to um, reduce the barriers to importing drugs that were made by the same manufacturers that were selling them in the U.S., subject to the same level of sort of FDA-type scrutiny. Like, I mean, Canada is the same level of country as the U.S. in that regard. So there is no reason – to block the importation of a of a of a patented FDA approved drug which is identical that is already sold in the US but it's made in Canada except here's what happens in in the more socialist countries like Canada and Europe they're they're not as afraid to impose price controls partly because they have a, a socialized medical system so they have a price control they say look you can only sell this pharmaceutical here for Seven hundred dollars, and that's it, right? You can sell it for ten thousand in the U.S., but only seven hundred in Canada. But of course, the cost of manufacture is like seventy dollars, so they're going to sell it in Canada, or Mexico, or or Western Europe. Well, which that gives rise to an arbitrage opportunity, right? Which means if mm -hmm. if I can import if I can import a drug for seven hundred dollars from Canada and sell it for eight hundred here, but it's being sold for three thousand or ten thousand here. Hey, but that's a way to undercut this monopoly price that is being charged in the U.S. because the patent is enforced more strongly here and we don't have price controls. And, of course, this upset all the um, pro-patent so-called free traders at Cato, so they had to make a choice. Do I favor free trade or do I favor patent rights? And, of course, what they favored was patent rights, so that made them oppose – the right to reimport drugs, which is basically opposing free trade. So I'm just pointing out that if you have a, mis a serious mistake in your reasoning and a big inconsistency, it's going to show up one way or the other. So this is off the subject of trademark. I was getting to the point of patents are the worst, copyrights are horrible. Trademarks are not nearly as destructive, but they're still horrible, and they're the third worst. Trade secret would be next, and then there are other ones like semiconductor mask work protections for, for chips and uh, defamation law, by the way, is not considered to be an IP law usually, but it's very similar to trademark law. So the, the difference with trademark law is trademark law was a common law right that developed uh, unlike patent and copyright, which were government intrusions, and then they were created by statute in the US. So they're totally illegitimate, although patent and copyright are constitutional because there's a patent copyright clause in the US Constitution. So they're they're immoral and they're unlibertarian and they're destructive, 
but they are probably constitutional. And it's because and it's because they're not valid forms of property. That's what I, that's how I say it when I talk to people that aren't aware of these ideas. I say, you know, uh, patents protect ideas and processes. Those aren't valid forms of property. Copyright protects concepts and patterns. Those aren't valid forms of property. And when I say they're not valid forms of property, I they're not valid forms of property because they're not scarce and they're not rivalrous. Um, that is, those are the things that we need a property system for. That's the only, that's the only reason we have a property system. If things weren't scarce yeah. and rivalrous, we wouldn't need these rules. Ownership wouldn't be a thing because there would be uh, unlimited everything, right? If we could snap our fingers and materialize literally anything we wanted, we, we would not need a property system, but because and, things and, are, yeah. go ahead. And the reason this matters is because all rights in effect are property rights because all law is the use of force by the legal authority, in our case, the government or the state. It's the use of physical force to make people do something, to compel them to comply with some kind of rule, right? And force can only be directed against tangible, material things in the world. Mm -hmm. So every dispute is always a dispute about who gets to control a scarce resource, which is why property rights emerge in the first place, right? And so all rights are property rights. All rights are about force. And you just can't add rights to the rights that are, are the, the way you allocate rights and scarce resources. Whenever you add an artificial right, all you're doing is adjusting the current allocation of rights that exist. So you're basically redistributing rights. So what I'm saying is you can't make up new rights for free. Now, most libertarians recognize this uh, intuitively because they have this sort of aversion to the idea of positive rights. We tend to say we believe in negative rights. Like you have the right to do whatever you want, except you can't invade on my property. You can't infringe my rights. Um, but they would oppose the idea of negative rights. I'm sorry, positive rights, because a positive right is a claim on other people's actions. Like, well, like a, if I have a right to be uh to be educated or a right to a home, that means someone has to provide me with that. If I have a negative right for you to leave me alone, the only thing you have to do to provide me with that right is to leave me alone. You can just mind your own business. That's why libertarians believe that. But when you start adding positive rights, you have to take away from negative rights because someone has to provide that. Basically, if you have a right to education, then that means that some of my property is taken from me in the form of taxes. That's a theft. It's a violation of my negative rights to not be molested or assaulted if I haven't done anything wrong. It's very similar to the fact that when people say, I don't know why we have a problem with people being poor. Why don't we just print more money? You know, that kind of simplistic idea. Let's just print more money because they think of money as being equal to wealth, which is not. So they think if the government just prints more money, we're all richer, but we're not. All they do is they cause inflation and they redistribute pur purchasing power around the economy. So none of these things come for free. If you create positive rights, you take away negative rights. If you print money, you, you reduce the purchasing power of the money held by people already. And the exact same thing is true if you start creating these rights that are called intellectual property rights – in the end, they're always enforced by physical force against the resource owned by someone. So all you're really doing is redistributing rights, and it's a taking of rights. So, for example, a copyright means that I cannot use my factory to print this book. 
a patent means I can't use my factory to produce this machine. Even though when I'm doing these actions, I'm staying within the borders of my property, I'm not violating a contract with anyone, I'm not committing a tort, I'm not harming anyone, I'm not committing trespass against them at all. So it's basically a transfer of rights. Now, trademark, you could say patent and copyright are similar because one has to do with inventions and one has to do with, with creative or original artistic works, but they're both protections of patterns. Trademark is a little bit more subtle. Trademark is more similar to what I think is more a libel or defamation law. It is an attempt to protect the reputation right. Now, in, in economic or in accounting terms, we call that like goodwill, right? So if you establish a reputation with the public and that's valuable for you to have, that's called goodwill. That's fine. You can even put a value on that in accounting terms. But again, we have this, this mistake of thinking that anything that has a value or that you put effort into, that you have a property right to, you don't. That's the fundamental mistake. So there's nothing wrong with recognizing that you have a value in your reputation or in your brand or in your goodwill, um, but that doesn't mean you have a property right in it. And that's effectively what trademark law does. Trademark law basically says that if you have a mark that's used to identify the source of goods of a good or service that you're selling um you can have certain rights in that which which you can then use to stop other people from doing something similar now the standard argument given for this is that um this is just based on fraud we're just trying to keep consumers from being defrauded um there there are several problems with that argument number one um we already have a law against fraud and we have contract law which are already sufficient to protect consumers who are being defrauded number two trademark doesn't require a showing of fraud it only requires a showing of likelihood of consumer confusion now that is not an objective libertarian standard at all and it doesn't even require that anymore it requires showing a tarnishment or a dilution of the value which is what tim was sort of whining about um which gets more to what defamation law is about, protecting the value that you have in your brand name or the reputation that you have worked to acquire. So that's sort of the background of how I see all this. Um, in but, Tim's but, case, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, yeah, before we get too far down that road, I just wanted to quickly back up and, and uh, an analogy that I used to to highlight the the danger of having a misunderstanding of what valid property is is I, uh, I did a video, I'll link it in the description. I took a piece of paper, I, draw, I drew a face on it, and I held it up to the camera, and I said, this, this pattern now belongs to me. This, this, not this paper, not this image, I, this pattern, the shape of this face that I drew on this piece of paper. And enforcing copyright, enforcing intellectual property is to ask the, the government to use its guns to control other people's actual yes. property to keep them from using their actual legitimate tangible property, scarce and rivalrous property for to, to forcibly prevent them from using their actual property in this pattern. And the same thing can be extrapolated into any pattern would be a patent. Uh, any, any series of zeros and ones would be copyright, right? Like uh, songs and images and things like that. Uh, and then to I loved how you talked about the difference between having something that that has value is valued in the market in a market let's say and it being a a valid 
piece of property. The way you said that was amazing. So, uh, and I think a great illustration of it, and I want to bring this up to, to, because every time I do it triggers people. And I think, and I think you'll agree with it though. Bitcoin is not a valid form of property. Your Bitcoin wallet is a pattern of ones and zeros that has value attached to it. But were someone to copy your pattern of ones and zeros, they would also have access to that value. And the value, you don't have a property right in that value. Now, they might be committing crimes by, you know, uh, trespassing to get access to your computer that houses your pattern of zeros and ones. But the, the, the pattern itself, you don't have a property right in that. You might have value in it, which is, which is kind of illustrating the distinction that you just made. What do you think about that? I think that uh, that's, that's all correct. And I think that um, this shows the importance of having a fundamentally kind of clear and clean set of uh, normative property rights theories and, because then you can sort these issues out. Now, if you say Bitcoin is not property, that's like a triggering term now because a lot of Bitcoin people will go crazy. And the reason is they, they think you mean more than you do mean by that. Um, I do think that there's been a big confusion for centuries now between economics and between normative thinking or between legal thinking about what the rules ought to be and what justice is and what rights are and economic thinking, which is more explanatory. Um, and that's why we've had this conflation between value and if you create value, then you must own it because see, creating value is an economic thing. Owning it is a legal thing. Um, I'm a Bitcoin uh, enthusiast and promoter and fan. And when I say Bitcoin is not ownable, it's not a criticism or an insult, which most people think it is because they think ownership they think in these sort of uh, everyday terms, ownership is this sort of ability to to use, right? Ownership is not. Ownership is a legal term, meaning the right to use, the right to control something. The way Bitcoin is arranged, you don't need the legal right to own it because it's encrypted and you only, only you have the key. Um, it's in a way better than ownership. So I give it credit for that. But to own a Bitcoin Bitcoin is a distributed blockchain, which is a pattern of bits stored on thousands of people's nodes or, or hard drives around the world. It's just the way that those different hard drives are configured or arranged. And every one of those hard drives, they might have a duplicate copy at this given moment in time, and every 10 minutes they're synced up, right? But all these hard drives around the world are physical property that already have an owner. So for you to own a Bitcoin means that you own an entry in this ledger, but the ledger is distributed and spread across thousands of computers. So that means that you have to have basically the right to control how other people use their property, but you don't. This is a private scheme or game that people play. They can play by the rules so they can split off and start a new one like Bitcoin SV or, or whatever. And by the way, I, I think this may be off tangent. I think I'm doing a podcast on this tomorrow night, but I think Craig Wright or some of his his cronies, they have filed a lawsuit um, in Florida federal court a couple months ago against some of the BCH guys, right? Some of the BSV guys are suing the BCH guys. Really? Claiming that they colluded and they violated antitrust law. And the remedy being sought is they want to get a federal judge to issue an order to these 
10 or 15 big BCH players to guess what? To unwind their blockchain. In other words, they're telling them what to do with their private property. And even if they all do it, I don't know if that means the, the whole BCH blockchain would follow suit because there's lots of other people on the sidelines who didn't get a court order. But the point is, to make this happen, you would have to reach in and grab control over people's hard drives. Which people's actual are. property. Actual but, property, right. P, yeah. So th th that's my point about the positive versus negative. You can't give people rights and things that are basically what I think of as a feature or attribute of something else. So, for example, if you own your car, you have a red Ford Mustang that weighs 5,000 pounds. If you said that means I own redness or if I own 5,000 poundness or I, or, or I own the 27-year-old ageness of a given car, that ownership of the universal of the of the universal of the, of the thing of the characteristic of the thing of the feature of the thing or as we could say the property of the thing that would mean that you own every other red car old you own every other 5000 pound car in the world which is ridiculous because other people own those things obviously when you have an item that you own it has features and attributes it has a weight, it has an age, it has a shape, it has a, uh, a, a molecular makeup, and those things can change over time, and you can change them. You know, you can, you can rearrange the shape. You can make a painting out of pigments. Mm. You can have a bunch of paint and a blank canvas, or you can put them together and make a Mona Lisa. And it's the same stuff, and you own the Mona Lisa not because you produce something valuable, but you own it because you own the paint and you own the canvas already. So the ownership rule is different than the economic analysis of where wealth comes from um so we can get to the temple thing if you want in a second but that's kind of where i'm thinking on these types of matters yeah and just the last thing before we get into the actual trademark part of this i would just point out and i think i got this from you i've been saying this stuff for so many years now that i forget where i got it from but i bet it was from you um Owning something, ownership is the right to exclude others from the use of a thing. That is the best way I've ever heard of anyone describing ownership, and I'm pretty sure I got that from you. Um, it's, it's um, yeah, and so under French copyright law, you owe me attribution rights. That's called an... Uh, 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 um, <laughs> Damn it. That's called a... Uh, uh, act, uh, what do you call it? A right that can't be given away... Um, uh, I'm forgetting my terms here. Anyway, it's 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 a moral it's a moral right. Um, so when you use when someone uses the government guns to control other people's property in in the way that they want based on intellectual property law, they are literally unowning that person from their property because ownership is the right to exclude others from the use of it. So if other people are not safe from your control over their property by via government guns then you are, like you said earlier, you're taking away the negative right of ownership of property uh, and imposing a positive and, obligation on them. Right. And even patent law sort of recognizes this because a patent law doesn't give you the right to practice the invention that you have a patent on. It gives you the right to exclude or prevent other people from doing that. So, um, for example, if you come up with – everyone says, oh, that invention was shouldn't have been granted. It was just an improvement. First of all, every invention is just an improvement and builds on what came before. There's no such thing as a ex nihilo invention that comes out of nowhere that no one even understands. Everything is based on something else. So everything's an incremental improvement. Sometimes they're bigger, sometimes they're smaller. But 
the point is if you make an improvement on a previous invention and it's based upon other inventions that are already that are still in patent you actually can't practice your new invention because it would infringe uh, the earlier patents so an example might be like um uh, someone invents a stool right it's like a a, a three or more legged uh, structural device having a seat a supportive seat platform that would be how you would claim a stool um and then someone else thinks well god if you just add a back to it um that would make it more useful so they say a, a, a three or more legged structural seating member having a structural seating platform and a structural back extending vertically therefrom. that's how patent lawyers think and talk now <laughs> the chair so, you, so someone would have a patent on a stool and someone had a patent on a chair the guy that has the patent on the stool can't make a chair because he would be infringing upon the chair patent and the guy that makes the has the chair patent can't make chairs or stools because he they're both stools because they both have the three or more legs and the and the seat platform so what they would do is they would get together and they'd make a cross license right and they would so they they it's, it's, a, it's a duopoly they corner the market then. this is what patents lead to patents are monopoly grants and they no no surprise they lead to cartels and and monopolies um they're using the, the guns is, of government to extract profit from people yes that, and they're doing it by the idea that you 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 can't make your invention you can stop other people from doing it and you can use that threat to stop them as an extortion to get money from them so if you don't even have them uh, you just file a patent one day for a chair and some company wants to start making chairs they have to go to you and beg your permission because otherwise you can get the power of government force against them to keep them from using their own wood and steel and metal and plastic in their own factory to make chairs so it's it's a right to exclude them from doing what they could use their property for naturally that's why it's a transfer of property rights that's why patents are theft in, okay in my opinion so now so i started disenthrall five six years ago and i've been working under the name disenthrall for a long time tim pool started subverse five six years ago uh let's so trademark is and I loved how you brought up reputation. Trademark is of like reputation is not a valid form of property. That's where we left it before. Right. So reputation is something again, it's an intellectual. It's not a valid. It's not a tangible, scarce, rivalrous property. It might have value, like you said, but it doesn't make it property. So can we can but, we pick but it up? is property under the law? It's property under right. defamation law. Defamation law includes libel and slander. Libel is the written form of defamation and slander is the oral form. So defamation law, in a sense, does make reputation property. It shouldn't. Rothbard explains this in his chapter in Ethics of Liberty, Knowledge, True and False, um, that basically if you if you have a right to your reputation, your reputation is what people think about you. So that means you have a right to other people's brains. So basically, defamation law means owning other people, uh, which is the whole problem with intellectual property. So Rothbard was actually on the right track. He, he wished he would have understood that that applied also to other types of intellectual property, but he got it right there. But I think the same reasoning would apply to uh, trademark law. Um, and as I mentioned already, trademark law is given the excuse that it stops fraud because it stops consumer confusion. But let me let me give an example. Um, um, the holder of trademarks to say Rolex watches or Chanel purses, 
they can use court orders to go and seize, say, knockoff Rolex watches and knockoff purses and just destroy them in the streets. It's like a book burning. It's horrific. But anyway, they destroy these products. They destroy these perfectly good fake fake watches and fake purses. But but there is no consumer that is defrauded whatsoever or even confused. When someone buys a $5 Chanel knockoff at the docks in Turkey or a $20 Rolex at the back of a van in New York City, they know that it's a fake. They are not being defrauded at all. So you have to turn to this other argument, which is, well, it tarnishes or dilutes my my brand name. But then we get to the idea that you have a property right in your value or your reputation, which is also false. Yeah. So somehow uh, Chanel has the right to control a tiny portion of my brain, just like when I drew the picture on the piece of paper, I magically uh, got a portion of control over everyone else's paper and computers. Uh, it's well, magic. Chanel can stop. Chanel can stop some lady who's doesn't have a lot of money who wants to spend thirty five dollars on a purse from some guy who hand makes a fake purse that pleases her. It's a private transaction. It's like Robert knows it called, uh, you know, consenting actions between private adults or something like that. Uh, they're not violating anyone's rights, except it, it it harms, it dilutes them. Now, so this gets back to what Poole was saying. Poole was saying how he put all this money into it. Now, he could have been prudent and filed his trademark earlier. He, I don't know why he's waiting now. And he's actually got more remedies and rights than I think he has because he seems to have filed first in the U.S. That will give him some leverage. But you just go to a lawyer for this and you figure it out. You don't have you don't have podcasts whining about your legal strategy. If you're not asking for support, I don't really know what he's doing. He keeps he keeps I saying think he's he trying to get them. He's he's trying to get them to change the name of their game without having to use well, but he's not. lawyers. Yeah, but he's not. He's not. That's ridiculous. This this company is obviously well produced uh, and they're very popular. They've already overtaken him in hits. He keeps saying, I just hope that they're going to change their name. Mm-hmm. That's not how you do business. He's they're trying not to apply social pressure to get them to change their name. Right. It doesn't seem to be. I mean, it. If he would have said everyone should call their headquarters and tell them to change it, and he said, well, I've got an idea. My personal view is they should work out. They should just work out something because he's he does have a U.S. trademark. He should just say, look, what, listen, and here in Houston, for example, where I am, there is there is a restaurant chain called Nymphas. It's, it's a Mexican Nymphas, but it started from this one called Original Nymphas. And when they spin off, the original guys had a dispute or whatever – and they kept the original. So now everyone knows that there's two websites. There's the original Nymphas on Navigation Road, and then there's all the other Nymphas. Same thing with Caraba's restaurant. Same thing with Cuban cigars and rum, by the way. In 1959, when Castro seized, expropriated all the American industries there, like rum and cigars in Cuba, then the question about trademarks became a big issue, right? So now you can ha- you can have a Cohiba, but there's two types of Cohibas now. You can buy a Cohiba um in the u.s which is made really in dominican republic or something like that which is under a u.s trademark or you could buy the original if you can smuggle one in or get one somehow you could buy a cohiba made in cuba under the original cuban trademark which was expropriated by the cuban government from the original owners and everyone knows that there's a difference so people know how to distinguish things um and by and large trademark disputes like this are never a problem because People starting companies want to be distinct and distinguished. So, so, for example, let's say there was not a trademark system 
and let's say there was a guy named Ray Kroc and he got this McDonald's chain and started franchising and McDonald's became popular. Hey, guess what? Someone gets the idea that, hey, maybe a fast food hey, hamburger chain is a good idea. So they start up, I don't know, Arby's or Hardee's or Fat Boys or, or, or Burger King or Wendy's or whatever, right? They're not going to start up a McDonald's because it would confuse everyone and they would just lose all their investors and everybody, what the hell's going on? And some of the customers would sue them for fraud. It's like, wait a minute. So they, it, these whole ideas are ridiculous. It just actually never happens. It's like when people say, hey, Kinsella, if you don't believe in copyright, what's to stop me from taking your books and putting my name on it and making a million dollars? I'm like, well, first of all, my books haven't made a million dollars. I'm writing <laughs> I'm writing. It's good for you. I mean, yeah. I mean and and what these questions are just disingenuous because um you know, copyrights last too long, but they do expire after over a hundred years. So there is a there are millions and millions of books out there right now that are public domain, hundreds of years old, thousands of years old, the Bible, Shakespeare's plays, whatever, right? Maybe Moby Dick. I don't know. And there is nothing whatsoever in the law stopping you from reprinting the Bible or Romeo and Juliet under your name. Why doesn't anyone ever do this? Why isn't this a, a rampant problem on Amazon? That, yeah, yeah. I was trying to buy the Bible, but it said it said Joe Joe Smith's Bible, or that's a bad example. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that Bible by Patrick Ralph, Smith. I'm just not sure that's the right one. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Who, who 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 have you ever been to someone's house and they have a Bible on the shelf and it has like uh, you know uh, Joel Osteen's name on it? Joel Osteen wrote the Bible. Yeah, he started the Genesis. I mean, no one, no one is, this is not a problem. It's not a problem because it's, it, there's, there's such a thing as knowledge and communication and factual verification and accreditation. And none of that has to do with the law. So a lot of these problems people complain about, it's just because they can't imagine the world without copyright or trademark. Exactly. And it's because they, be, they believe the lies they've been told about how essential they are. Um, without trademark, almost nothing would change. Look. There's lots of John Smiths in the world, people with the same name. Oh, my God, what do I do? Well, you can change your name if you want to. Or maybe when you give your kid a name, you pick a, a more unique name. That's what people tend to do. That's why names change every year. People, Parents don't want their kids to have the same name as the guy down the street, except yeah. maybe if you live in Saudi Arabia and everyone's got to be named Mohammed, you know. Well, so before we before we go on to how this might function in a free society, I just wanted to highlight another article. Guys, look in the description of this video. I'm going to put so many links to so many awesome things on intellectual property from both myself and uh, Stefan Kinsella. Uh, but one of them is going to be an article that he wrote, How to Improve Patent, Copyright, and Trademark Law. And I just put on screen an excerpt. I guess I infringed a copyright without your permission, uh, putting this on the screen. But this is from your article on what you would do to improve... The trademark, uh, you said, raise the bar for, 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 for proving consumer confusion. I think we already kind of yes. talked about that a little bit. Um, interrupt me if you wanted to say anything specific related to this Tim stuff here. Uh, abolish. Well, let, let, yeah, let, yeah, let me interrupt you for a second. So for, yeah. in this article, you'll notice that I have a longer list of changes for patent and copyright because those are the two worst. Yep. For trademark, yeah, I've only got a few. And um, the first one is... Right now, consumer confusion is, is you have to prove likelihood of consumer confusion, and everyone assumes that means fraud, but it doesn't mean fraud. Um, so I would make it more like fraud. Show that someone's actually being defrauded. Um, 
the other change which I did not mention here was in 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 an actual fraud case or a breach of contract case or a fraud case like that, guess who the plaintiff would be? The person that was harmed. It would be the consumer that was defrauded. So right. they would have to go to court and they would file a lawsuit against the company that was deluding them by their false advertising or whatever. But the way trademark law works is the plaintiff is the competitor. So oh. like it's been, it's 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 That's Chanel, a good point. Chanel. Yeah. So the consumer who bought the fake Chanel purse is not suing because he's not harmed and he's not deluded and he's not oh. defrauded. But Chanel can sue even though they don't have a right. They weren't actually even part of the interaction. So I would make that change too. You just uh, you just blew my mind. So like the the victim in the case of like let's say a company actually created a competing media company exactly like what Tim Pool was trying to do with Subverse and they named it Subverse and they set out to actually deceive people to make people think yes. that their service was Tim Pool's media company. The victim yes. in that situation would not be Tim Pool, it would be the people no. that got deceived by them. Yes, and what would happen in a free market? What would happen in a free market is you would have some lawyer who would come along and he would do a class action suit on behalf of all these victims, and he would get them some money, and then it would shut them down. But right now, their right to sue is basically stolen from them and given to Tim Pool, say in that case, given to someone else. And the idea is this Chicago efficiency thing that oh, it's more efficient to have one company do the suing. It's like bullshit, but you're taking the right from the victims. It would be yeah. like if if there was a bunch of women raped. It, well, it is like that actually. The government has state crimes, and a guy goes to jail, and the state gets to punish him and to make him pay penalties or fines. But the victims are not compensated at all. You know that kind of idea. Yep. Um, the anti-dilution thing is that at least in the common law version of trademark, it was rooted in the idea of consumer confusion, which you could say is a roughly bad thing. Again, I would put the right to sue in the hands of the victims, and I would make it more of a fraud standard. But at least consuming confusions is not a good thing. But in the 80s, the U.S. added this anti-dilution thing, which says you don't even have to prove um, confusion anymore. You just have to show tarnishment or, or dilution of the value of your mark. But if you think about it, that's what happens whenever you have competition. Like if 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 Pizza Hut's the first pizza company in town and Domino's comes along and starts competing, now the value of the Pizza Hut brand is not as much. And now they, they got some of their customers, say, stolen. They lost some of their business. Their value goes down, which is exactly what Tim is complaining about, by the way. He's complaining that he's not getting as much Google search hits because this other guy, this, this other company, Subverse, is more popular. Well, so what? That would happen in a free market. I mean, what, what is the complaint exactly? How does it violate his rights that more people are interested in this porn game than in his media company? I don't even see what the point is. I, I, that That's what confused me in the beginning, because at first I thought, well, no, Tim's going to lose his case if it goes to court because like a video game does not is not even in the same space as a media company. But apparently I'm wrong about that. Apparently you can just you can just plant a flag on a word that you make up and then, I think, and then yeah, lord yeah, it so, over so, everyone in the world. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not I'm not sure how legally this case itself would play out because I'm not sure what uh what Subverse Europe did in filing any rights over there, but it does look to me from what from my cursory search that the first filing in the US anyway was by was by pool, and so he does have some rights there, and he did claim that um, 
he wants to maintain the right to use this mark for a broader set of services, including possibly video games. And so I do think that there could be some under the legal standards as they exist, right, for trademark law. I do think right. there could be some consumer confusion between okay. those two brands. Um, um, now, and he, he is right to some degree that the way trademark law works – well, let me get the, let me finish this. The, yeah, the third sorry, point ahead. is simply that the third point, the bullet there you have is simply that um, the Constitution authorizes patent and copyright. It doesn't authorize trademarks. So the Congress finally enacted that under what they call the Lanham Act using this interstate commerce clause idea that uh, they can regulate things that affect interstate commerce. So what they did was they didn't totally federalize the field like they did for patent and copyright. Like there are no state copyright or state patent laws. There can't be because it was preempted by the feds because of that clause. Um, they couldn't do that in the, in the case of trademark. So there are 50 state trademark systems in addition to the federal one, and the federal one only affects interstate commerce. But since that's the biggest part of our trade, that's the one that dominates. So it's a weird system. But I think it's totally unconstitutional because the interstate commerce clause was never meant to be a general grant of power to the feds to make laws. Um, there is no enumerated power in the Constitution to allow the federal government to enact a trademark system. So I think the whole thing is totally unconstitutional. It should go back to the state common law system, which wouldn't have the anti-dilution rights. So it would be closer to this kind of contract fraud ideal that we have anyway. Okay, but um, oh, and I've lost my train of thought. I was going to finish that second point. We were just talking about Tim. Um, oh, oh, what they could do. So what they could do is. He is right in the sense that the way trademark works, you do have – you can't sit on your rights for too long or otherwise you could lose them. Okay. But that's not necessarily a problem unless you want to enforce them. So let me give an example. There was a band called the Slants. Have you heard of them? No. It's like Chinese Americans, so they have all the Slants. <laughs> okay. And they wanted to get a trademark on their name. and. It was refused registration by the trademark office because it was racist, basically, right? And they're all politically correct now, right? Oh, you can't you can't um, trademark racist things. I didn't know that. Okay. Well, it doesn't say racist. It says like things that are extremely offensive or something. And in today's standard, now that's being used against trademarks. Um, like you'd probably have trouble getting Heil Hitler as a trademark. I don't know. You know. Uh, in, even in the U.S. Uh, so, so, but all that means is the federal government refuses to grant you. I mean, I I never have a problem when the government refuses to grant someone a patent or a copyright because they're just not giving you a monopoly right that you're not entitled to. What people don't understand is you don't need a trademark right to use a mark. You can we have free speech in this country. You can still say whatever you want. You can still homestead a domain name, and you can still. I mean, Tim can still keep calling his company Subverse, and he complains that investors are getting upset by the fact that they do a Google search and they come up with this porn site. Well, why doesn't he just say, that's not us? Hmm. Or why doesn't he just get the other company to put a little thing on their website saying, uh, we are we are a European company that specializes in, in pornographic games. We're not affiliated with Subverse in America, and do vice versa. Over time, people figure this out. They're not stupid. So I don't think that's a big problem, and they're going to have different logos. The, the 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 stylized design of the Subverse name for the European company is different than the more than the logo 
and the way that it's used by Tim. And that would happen over time. It can cause some confusion, but you just have to educate people. I mean, people get confused about uh, uh, Washington State, Washington D.C. They seem to, you know, be able to survive. <laughs> I mean, you just specify, <laughs> you just specify the difference, right? Um, but my point is, you don't need trademark to use a word. You just need a trademark to have a right to stop other people from doing it. So, for example, Chick Fil A has a trademark on on Chick Fil A and the way they do things, and they sued this guy. I don't know if you heard about this a few years ago. Some innocent. Um, kind of hippie kind of guy in New Hampshire or somewhere who was selling Eat More Kale t-shirts because it kind of looked like the Eat More Chicken slogan Chick-fil-A was using. Okay, And they kept, this poor guy, they kept this poor guy in court for years, and he finally won, I think, but it took him lots of money and lots of time, and he, and he could have well lost. The point is they shouldn't have had that right in the first place, right? I mean, why should they be able to stop him from saying Eat More Chicken, Eat More Kale? Okay. Just because their slogans eat more chicken. Um, so, but, but my point is, Chick Fil A could have kept calling themselves Chick Fil A. They could have kept saying "eat more chicken," even if they don't have a trademark. They just wouldn't be able to stop other people. So, the only reason you need to get a trademark defensively, which is sort of what Tim is suggesting, and that was my next question. It, it, as as a libertarian, yeah. would you re- like? Would you recommend that I trademark disenthrall? That I trademark uh this not governor title that i've been using for the last couple of years you know what what would you recommend to a, a a principled person okay so from a principled point of view i have no problem with people uh using the law uh in the way that they have to 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 get around like in the case of patents um i do think people should patent some of their stuff sometimes to only if only to have um number one either to stop someone else from patenting it which then they could use to stop the first person from you know selling their product um, or to have it defensively like you had to have a war chest of patents you can use um in a patent lawsuit if someone sues you you you, you can counter sue them so it's an unfortunate need to stockpile it's like bullets it's like you can stockpile a bunch of bullets there you don't plan to use them offensively but you can use them defensively so the question is for trademarks is there ever a need to to use them defensively most of the cases there's not because like i said you don't need a trademark to use a mark the only reason you need a trademark is to stop people from using your mark which is an offensive use but there is a danger in the field of trademarks that if uh it's not about originality or novelty or who came up with it first. It is who filed a registration application first. So it is possible that if Tim had not filed his application that Subverse UK would have filed one, and then they could have gotten a court order eventually telling him he's got to change his name. So oh, really? It, okay. So it's not like copyright. It is possible. You have to file. It's not like copyright, and it's not okay. like patent even. So I, I, so I think that uh, it's reasonable for him to file that, actually. In fact, I would file also on his little logo, and it just doesn't cost that much. Uh, he says he hasn't had time to go international. I don't understand that. It's a very routine procedure. You file in the U.S., and then you file under the Madrid Protocol a certain amount of time later. It's, I mean, it takes a little bit more money, but I mean, patents take around, say, $10,000, $20,000 each. Trademarks are way less than that. So. I, there's really no excuse for not getting the minimum trademark protection on your basic marks if you think you will need it. Now, in your case, 
I mean, you got to think, is anyone ever going to use that word and try to stop you? And by the way, there are common law rights. So just like copyright is automatic under the way copyright works, as soon as you write down an original expression in a in a fixed tangible medium, you know, you write it down, you have copyright automatically under the under the copyright law and the Berne Convention. Right. Um, trademark, trademark law under the common law that still applies is similar in that as soon as you start using a mark, you have some common law trademark rights in that mark, but only it's it's a funny thing. It's only geographically in the area that you've used it. But now that the world is so connected by the internet, I don't know what that means anymore. Right. But yeah. so let's say you let's say you were selling a, a, a you had a restaurant in in North Carolina under a certain name for fifty years, and someone else starts using that same name for a, another restaurant chain, and they file a U.S. trademark registration t- tomorrow. They could probably prevent you from expanding, but they couldn't stop you from using it where you were using it. So you have you sort of you sort of homesteaded your little piece of property. That's okay. why people filed federal trademark because federal covers the whole country and potentially the whole world if you extend it internationally. So the reason people do the federal filings is to go on and extend it and make it sort of established and searchable. So I don't blame him for filing. He should have filed it. He should have filed it a long time ago. Um, that doesn't mean he has to be litigious about this, uh, and it doesn't mean the other company has to be litigious. Personally, I can't think of a good way that's going to be ob- easy. If he really wants to retain the right to make video games, and this porn company is making porn video games, um, I could see that down the road there would be some pretty substantial consumer confusion but about that. So, But if they agreed to use different logos, different fonts, and to have little little disclaimers, maybe that's the way to work it out. I, I don't know. If you really want to be civil, you probably could work something out. Okay. All right. Well, sir, I, I appreciate – I feel like I just got an hour of uh, free legal advice. <laughs> so uh, I appreciate you taking the time to join us today for the conversation, and I hope to follow up with you in the future on, on some other uh, – cool topics like this. Thanks for coming on the show today. Happy to do it. You're a good host. <laughs> <laughs>